Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you live in the building where you work, does it count as working from home? I don't think so. <laughs> no, it super doesn't. Do you do you here well, here's the question. Do you have to wear pants? If you do, it's not working from home. Oh my goodness. It's a solid solid point. I mean, I, you can't really argue with that. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I'm marching with so many multitudes this week, it's not even funny. <laughs> Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I am not marching with multitudes, but I am multifarious. <laughs> and mm. I'm Joey Schultz, the Discordant, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? Guilds of Ravnica. That return is to right. return to return of Ravnica. Lots of returning. Yeah, we've got no time for pleasantries. We're going to get right to it. We are going to be reviewing, now that we have the full set spoiled, all of the cards from Guilds of Ravnica. Well, I guess I shouldn't say all of the cards. The interesting cards. The ones that we think we'll see higher percentages on EDH Rec. The ones that we think people will play more often. You know, not every card is going to be strictly playable in our format, so we want to try and pick apart these cards to see which ones are going to have the most popularity. You guys ready? Let's do it. I suppose. Matt, would you start us off with Lazav the Multifarious? So Dana, the or Lazav the Multifarious. Uh, <laughs> That's right. He wears many faces. It's hard to get is, it right. Is that actually so, a real word, or is that just like a made-up magic word? That is a real word, in fact, yeah. All right. Well, deal. Well, Lazav, the real word, multifarious. Uh, he's a legendary creature. He is a shapeshifter. He costs a blue and a black demir mana, or dimmer if you're Dana. Uh, no, but, don't say dimmer. But he if is you say a, dimmer, it just makes you sound dimmer. Ouch. Ooh, wow. Intelligence <laughs> jokes right off the bat. 
Anyways, so the Demir legend is a 1-3 shapeshifter, and he reads, when Lazav, the multifarious, enters the battlefield, surveil one. So surveil is a new mechanic that we're getting with the set. Uh, when you surveil, you look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. So it'll always have a number, surveil one, surveil two, whatever. So you look at that top number of cards, and you can put any number of them into your graveyard or back on top of your library. Yeah, graveyard scry. Graveyard scry, yeah. He's kind of like that... Uh, the black green creature from uh, Shadows Over Innistrad that kind of did that with, you know, some cards. But also, uh, Lazav has another ability, if you didn't know. Oh, that's know. good. It reads X. That's it. But then it also has more text. Uh, it says Lazav, the nefarious, becomes the copy of target creature in your graveyard with converted mana cost X, except its name is Lazav the Multifarious. It's legendary in addition to its other types and has this ability. So, as multifarious as he is, he is also multitudinous. He can change his form at will, pay X mana. He doesn't even exile the stuff from your graveyard, which is kind of nice. He can constantly change his shape as long as you have the mana to do it. What do you guys think of Lazav? I have mixed feelings. Um, I mean, the casting cost is really aggressive. Two mana um, for one three. He does multiple things. I like him well enough, but I don't think he's that interesting. I mean, I think... It's a pretty clear build path here. You're going to be entombing or some variant on entomb particular creatures into your graveyard and then turning Lazav into those when you swing. So there's going to be a mix of like hexproof stuff to save them if you need to, you know, big beaters that you could transform them into that are efficiently costed. So I think the deck kind of builds himself. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, as the Commander Showdown author, I cannot help but compare this to the previous Lazav. That was the one that has Hexproof and can also change his form, but only when an opponent's creature goes to the graveyard. So he just copies your other stuff. This Lazav is a nice take because he is changing to your own stuff. But my problem is that, well, first he's lost the Hexproof, which is probably fine. Hexproof is really strong on your commander if it has it just naturally. But he's also changing form by paying the exact amount of mana of the creature in your graveyard. And that won't trigger any enters the battlefield effects, which is kind of troublesome for me. I like getting those. And I mean, that was true of the others as well, too. But it is also kind of a problem when you have to pay that much mana to become something huge. Where one Lazav was relying on the stuff that your opponent, you know, gets milled, this Lazav is relying on you having a lot of mana if you want something impressive. And the stuff that I've always said I really enjoy about reanimation decks is that you can pay a lot of just like really cheap costs in order to get huge stuff into play. You can, you know, animate dead for two mana, a Jingataxi is 10 mana into play. And Lazav doesn't quite open that up for you, so that's what makes me a little trepidatious about him. I think you just used a fake word, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Trepidatious. It's like multifarious. It's totally made up. Absolutely. No, I I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I do like the fact, like, you can you can control your own graveyard. You know what creatures are in your deck. There's things you can do to control what you're putting in your yard. Whereas old, Lazla, old Lazav, excuse me, that's such a wild card. Like, you're relying on your opponent to, A, have creatures that you want to copy, and B put them in the graveyard now you can kind of tweak that by running mill stuff but that also can very easily burn you because so many decks play with their graveyard like a second hand so i i think this is a this this card is a lot better i i, I mean i don't want to just say it's simply that it's better but i, I think it is like for me personally i like the fact that you can c control for the most part what he's doing i just don't know if i if i have any interest in building it Maybe. 
I, I'm on Dana's side. I, I think he's very interesting. I think it's going to be a, a cool challenge. I, I don't play Demir hardly ever, but I like both of the Demir legends in this set because they, the challenge in deck building, I think is going to be very unique compared to uh, other people that, you know, other decks that, you know, you do in Demir. I tweeted out as soon as I saw Lazav, like you guys are freaking out about the wrong cards. Sure. He can become anything, but let's make him a one mana 12, 12. Uh, with Phyrexian oh, Dreadnought. Yes. And I mean, and, as and, long as we're here card, talking about. Yeah, the card promptly became $50 after I tweeted that. So you're welcome, <laughs> MTG. Oh, you're definitely responsible, you and you alone. Uh, Just, I mean, that is, that is something that we should take note of, actually, for each of these commanders. What is, uh, you know, a top or a signature card that we can anticipate seeing on EDHREC? And you're right, Phyrexian Dreadnought is a cert. That's a one mana 12 12. Oof, that's in- it's totally insane. But it has a really significant drawback when it enters the battlefield. If you use Lazav's ability to turn himself into a 12-12 rather than actually putting that thing back into play, that's a really nice way to get around that. So Lazav, two mana, entomb into a 12-12 and just commander damage someone before they've even cast their first cultivate. Like, yeah, that sounds uh, pretty, pretty bonkers, actually. That's probably the direction that we'll see most of these, uh, these Lazav decks going, I would expect, is to have a bunch of very efficient high toughness or something ratio uh, with creatures that have low mana costs. That way Lazav can always beef himself up and you would almost get like a, a Voltron-y Demir kind of deck is probably what I would expect from this multifarious Lazav. Yeah, if this turns into kind of a, one of the new archetypes for the, the C88H crowd with all the, the 15 people that play that format, it wouldn't surprise me if this is probably like one of the better uh, competitive EDH uh, commanders from the set. Well, that's you know that's pretty good praise actually. So I, I think there's a lot of moving pieces that requ- are required for him to be good in CEDH. I think you have to have ways to put that dreadnought in the yard quickly. I, I don't I don't know if it's fast enough to, to play in that format, but I'm certainly no expert. Mm-hmm. But I definitely do think things like Invisible Stalker are going to show up in this deck for sure. Um, you know, a couple small evasive creatures that allow you to you know give him unblockable or flying or whatever i think there's a there's an interesting mix of kind of obscure cards that maybe you don't see a lot in commander so that's always fun like this lazo deck you're gonna see a lot of weird creatures that don't show up in the other deck and i'm always uh looking forward to seeing that kind of thing when someone builds a new list yeah you're, you're in colors to play you know blighted agent and hatreds so. right yeah, yeah, you know, I I don't hate that. But we've got a lot of legendary creatures to cover, so let's move on to another one. Matt, you had also mentioned Etrada the Silencer, the other blue-black legend that you were pretty intrigued by, so let's talk about her really quick as well, because this is one of the more curious cards that I think I've seen. Etrada the Silencer is four mana that's two blue and a black for a vampire assassin 3-5. She cannot be blocked. Really good start. Then she's got a very bizarre ability. Whenever Etrada deals combat damage to a player, Exile target creature that player controls and put a hit counter on that card. That player loses the game if they own three or more exiled cards with hit counters on them. Holy crap, that sounds amazing. Except, wait, there's one more line of text. Etrada's owner shuffles it into their library. Yeah. It's a weird deck building challenge. And I know there's, I was talking to a couple buddies and they wanted to, but they didn't want to build to make this work in Commander specifically. Right. Rather than shuffling it into your library, you absolutely can put it back in the command zone, but then that means that you'd be paying the command tax on it. So what I've seen a lot of other people doing instead is to respond to that trigger. Etrada does not actually have to be on the battlefield after she's dealt the combat damage for her trigger to resolve. So you can use something like a crystal shard and bounce her back to your hand, then exile an opponent's creature 
that you just attacked and put a hit counter on it. That way you can just recast it from your hand without accruing additional command tax, which is a pretty clever workaround. But overall, it does seem maybe a little slow to make work. You do have to hit someone three times and exile three different creatures in order to make sure that they actually lose the game. Plus, they have to have creatures for you to exile. Yeah, and it has to be three three creatures per player. It can't be right. three creatures total, multiple like spread across, you know, one for each player at the table. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got to be all with the same person. So uh, there, there are a couple people tweeting at us uh, saying that this person's probably the, this commander is either going to be banned or going to be super expensive because it's going to be so popular. And I don't agree with either of those statements. But mm, yeah, neither do I. I but I do think that there's going to be enough people that try to make it work like. You said, Joey, you know, bouncing it, replaying it. It doesn't have haste or anything like that. But, you know, obviously there's swift foot boots, all that kind of fun stuff. Right. I don't you see can it flicker it as well. Yeah, flicker is another possible thing. If you were to flicker her in response to her trigger, then she is a new game object. And that would be a way to get around it without having to recast her. That's another possible option. But I don't know. Dana, what do you think? Um, I think there's just a lot of cards you need in this deck to make it work. They're going to bump out cards that you need to make any EDH deck work, like whether you're talking about running flickering effects or talking about Sundial of the Infinite kind of things to end the turn or just all, all the hoops you have to jump through to not have to shuffle her into your library. And then in addition to that, you're going to want to, you know, have Stronic Resonate or something like that so you can not have to swing three times to kill a single person so you can kind of speed up that process. You're probably going to need at least a couple other ways to win the game, whether it's like Matt mentioned earlier, hatred in Lazav, maybe you need that kind of thing here because if someone's playing Super Friends, well, how are you ever going to get three counters on them? Then you're going to have to hope you can get command damage or win some other way. So you're going to need some backup plans as well. I think this is a deck that's going to want 130 cards in it, and we play in a 100-card format. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty funny way to assess it, but I, I can't say that I disagree. It does... I mean, and Matt mentioned, these have a lot of deck-building challenges around them, and those can be very exciting. So I'm looking forward to see people, the way that they maneuver around this, but it does seem to require a lot of upkeep. And I don't just mean the upkeep step. And I like the card a lot. I just don't know if it is going to work. But I I think it's it's, it's a great design. I like seeing them try to do oddball things like this. Yeah. Yeah, if if there's a format that you can do Rube Goldberg-type effects to make your commander work, like this is the format, just is it worth all the effort is the big question. Right. Right. So let's move on now. We've got a couple of other legends to get through. And the next one is Niv Mizzet Perun. Dana, would you tell us about the new Niv? Niv Mizzet Perun. Uh, six mana to cast, trip blue and trip red. So that's a lot of pips on that card. Yes, it is. Uh, legendary creature dragon wizard, as always, for Niv Mizzet. However, we have some unique text on this one. This spell can't be countered, which is the first time we've had that on a Niv Mizzet card. Uh, has flying, of course. Whenever you draw a card, Niv-Mizzet Perrin deals one damage to any target, which is a variant on the ability he's always had. However, he also has whenever a player, not just you, whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, you draw a card. So, that seems really good. Uh, yes, it definitely does. I think it's, looking at the text on the card, I would say it's probably the best of the Niv-Mizzets. Yeah, you know, actually, I maybe I have a bias because I'm such a fanboy of the original Ravnica sets. I was kind of like, oh, I think the original Rav- uh, original Niv-Mizzet is maybe better than this guy, but 
there's so many words on this guy. And, and you're just going to draw so many cards off other people doing, you know, hey, nice cultivate, bro. I'm going to draw a card. And that's exactly it. In this multiplayer format, you're going to draw a lot of cards, which means a lot of damage. Oh, but, crap. I just realized it was whenever a player, not yeah. just whenever you. Yes, indeed. Oh, okay. That changed things a little bit. <laughs> uh, that casting cost is rough, though. Trip, trip blue, trip red. Um, you know, yeah, you're in commander where you can run every dual land possible. Um, but that's there's still going to be a lot of games where it's going to take you till you know turn eight to hit the right colors to get him out because um, red blue you're not in the best colors for ramp either. So I, I like the card. I just think it's he's going to be tricky to 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 work just by virtue of that that casting cost being so prohibitive. I think that's fair. What do you guys anticipate being one of the topper signature cards for Niv Mizzet? Is it probably Curiosity? Yeah, like Curiosity, the original yeah. Niv Mizzet. I, I don't imagine this being terribly different than either of the previous Niv Mizzets. Like, yeah, they do it's, tend it's, to be very combo engine-y kind of guys. Very much, yeah. I mean, it goes infinite with, you know, whatever cards you want to say. Yeah, Curiosity. So whenever you draw a card, or whenever it deals damage, you draw a card. And then he says, whenever I uh, draw a card, deal damage. So it just creates a loop and you can... Sorry, Henry, our former editor who hates it every time that we mention Lab Maniac, but it's a really easy gate into Laboratory Maniac to instantly win because you drew your whole deck or you just machine gun down the rest of the table. Yeah, there's. It, it seems, even though this is probably the better variant, it isn't going to be something that we've never seen before, is, I guess, the takeaway for me. Yeah, it's just the same thing, only different. And probably better. Yeah, it, it'll be a refined version of the existing deck. It'll have maybe some uh locust god kind of tech in it and archer in the shifting flame and i mean it'll be it'll be a combination of those decks a little bit kind of a bit of a nekuzar vibe going on as well which nipmus it always was anyway he'll probably be in some nekuzar decks probably be in some locust god decks as well Mm. yeah just an all-around solid card um that casting cost scares me though (laughs) i keep saying that but (laughs) i just keep looking at it going man that's just a lot of pips yeah well, I mean, if you're going to be a powerful card, then you're going to have to have a, a more difficult casting cost. So when he's in there, it definitely seems worth the payoff. And I do think that cost is fair for that card. I mean, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's just a good devotion deck. That's all you want to sure, do. Sure, right, exactly. <laughs> definitely instantly turns on Karanos. It's just like, hey, bam. That's uh, that's pretty entertaining. There's another six-mana planes... Excuse me, Planeswalker. There's another six-mana legendary creature uh, that also has a rather difficult mana cost, although not as extreme as Niv-Mizzet, and that's Izoni Thousand-Eyed. So this is the Golgari commander. So it's two black-black, green-green for a 2-3 elf shaman, and it's got our first case of undergrowth. This is the Golgari mechanic that cares about the number of creature cards in your graveyard. So in this particular case, Izani Thousand-Eyed enters the battlefield and creates a 1-1 black and green insect creature token for each creature card in your graveyard. Which, you know, that's pretty cool. If you've got four creatures in there, you've got, you know, six power worth of dudes. Pretty awesome. It also has the ability, black, green, sacrifice another creature, and you gain one life and draw a card. Sort of like a vampiric rights ability to sacrifice your creatures, gain life, and draw cards. What are your guys' thoughts about Izani? I'm not super keen. But <laughs> I can hear the dejection in your voice. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm just trying to like find some sort of silver lining in it, and like the the activated ability is fine, but it, it's two mana. I mean, vampiric rites is a little less mana intensive if you want to do that type of effect. You know, your legendary spider from you know Shadows of Innistrad block kind of did the same thing. This obviously scales a little bit better. It's fine. Like like you said, for six mana. There's way better things that you can be doing in our format. 
I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, mean, I, look, I look at the card and I just keep thinking: if this cost what goes to the trader cost, this was a black and two green, or even two black green. So for four total, I would be really interested in the card at that at that CMC. Unlike Niv Mizzet, where it's justified, I don't think this card justifies that casting cost. I, I do think that that's a fair assessment. And while Azoni can certainly bring a ton of dudes into play if you've got a really stocked graveyard, that strikes me as being something that I'd want as a toolboxy kind of card in my 99 rather than from the command zone, if that makes any sense. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd want to revive this with Marin the same way that I would revive a, uh, an Avenger of Zendikar, for example. Or, or like if you're playing, you know, a Moldrotha deck and you want to flood the board with tokens, like this is a good way to do it too, but... I just, as the commander, I don't think it gets the job done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think, honestly, with this and with Lazav, I think that might be slightly a testament to how, frankly, spoiled we as graveyard players, and I'm speaking there royal we, <laughs> speaking uh, for my entire necromantic posse, uh, <laughs> how spoiled we've been, because we tend to get a lot of just uber ridiculously stupidly powerful necromantic stuff. I've been spoiled with things like Marin or Mimeoplasm, and I think that like Azoni or Lazav are probably more appropriate power levels, but they've accidentally overstepped that, which makes these appear lackluster because I've been so spoiled even though I think they're actually still kind of solid, but they fail to excite me because I already have a plethora of other things to choose from that are just slightly past this mark. I think that's a good assessment. It, it just doesn't stack up compared to the dozens of other super powerful Golgari commanders that we're just we're accustomed to seeing at this point. Right. I think this is also a good point to compare a little bit the two mechanics. And when you, when you look over at Lazav, where you have Surveil, and looking at this one where you have Undergrowth, I think Undergrowth is... is a mechanic I like in theory, I think in reality, it's so much out of your hand. Like if someone, it's a mechanic where if someone's running kind of graveyard hate or someone dropping a Anafenza or someone has a in the void or rest in peace or something in play, your keyword doesn't do anything. Whereas that surveil is always going to be generating you value. And if you're playing a graveyard deck and they don't have something out, well, it's also generating extra value just like undergrowth. But I, I'm always really leery of relying on a mechanic, on a commander that I'm hoping other people don't have cards in their deck to deal with. Like, fingers crossed, no one's running Grave Hate, and that's not something I personally really like in a card. See, I love it. Okay. I, I, but I, I just love graveyards. Sure, for sure. <laughs> no, I, and I get that. I just, uh, I like, I, I enjoy playing out of mine too. I just hate having that, like, where I'm relying on other people to not do a thing in order for me to succeed. Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can see that. PSA to all of our listeners, play Graveyard. Absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely. always worth it. It nerfs both Azani and Lazov and then also all of the other, you know, necromantic posse commanders that I've mentioned as well. So like, well, you, yeah, you should play Graveyard. We actually, it shuts people down. We actually down. mentioned that in the show, I think like two weeks ago or something. And I actually had a, a friend of mine who listens message me and be like, stop telling people to run Graveyard Hate. It screws over all my decks. <laughs> They'll get over yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, awesome. So we're not necessarily high on Azani, but there are a couple of other commanders that we want to discuss, such as Imara, Soul of the Accord. Since this is a Selesnia card, Matt, I'm going to hand it off to you. Yeah. So Imara, Soul of the Accord, is a legendary elf cleric for green and white. Uh, it is 2-2. Whenever Imara, Soul of the Accord, becomes tapped, create a 1-1 white soldier white soldier creature token with lifelink and that's, that's it very that simple it. ability 
Yeah, very simple, but it's it's going to get out of hand pretty quick. When I mean, you're in green white, so it's not like you don't have doubling season and all those token doublers, and it's not like you don't have you know cryptolith right and all those kind of fun things that you played with like green white miri. You can play largely the same deck, and you have a very very good token deck right out of the box. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. What do you picture as being one of the uh, the top or the signature cards for an Amara deck? What style do you see that going in? I think Amara's wreck page is going to look like Miri's should if Miri didn't have the precon effect so heavily messing up her page. You know, a lot of Miri's top wrecks are all the cat decks, but I think if if you took Amara and Miri decks, how they're being actually built, not with the precon, I think they would look very, very similar. You're going to have like Cryptolith right. Glare of Subdual, Springleaf Drum, a bunch of ways just to tap for free. Um, and then a lot of token doublers, Cathars Crusade to make them enormous. I really like me some Pathbreaker, Pathbreaker Ibex type effects, Cultivator Blades, just things that are going to pump up all your team. And that way you can go very, very wide. And yeah, Mara just slots in very quickly. It'll be a nice budget replacement for people who want to play Reese the Redeemed decks, I think. Oh, that's a really good note, actually. I think that's very, yeah, that's a nice touch. That that was what I was going to say. This is the, the deck you build while you skip your Starbucks every morning for, you know, four weeks yeah. and can save up and then just go buy a Reese Redeemed and replace her with Reese and get a, and have a better deck. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, she, this is a neat one. She feels like an uncommon from Dominaria. Like we got that whole cycle of Dominaria uncommons, a bunch of which were, but you're like, oh, that's a really nice legendary uncommon. And that's what I feel about her. If she was a uncommon from Dominaria, I'd be like, oh, that's a really cool, neat, legendary uncommon. But she's not. She's a rare from Ravnica. So I'm 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 less impressed. She's fine. I wonder, is there maybe a vehicles deck you could make since she doesn't have to attack, she just has to become tapped where she crews some vehicles. I think mm-hmm. you're not you're not in the right oh, colors clever. for it, but obviously people make uh, King Makar vehicles deck. So I mean, if you can do it mono black, I would think you could do it in Celestia. So maybe there's a there's a weird deck you could build there too that I, I would kind of be interested in seeing. Yeah, reconnaissance will be another card that people play a lot yep. just so you can attack with her, get her tapped, then get her out of combat. And there's pro- there's definitely probably some combos in here too where you can tap her, untap her, and like repeatedly do it, uh, you know, infinitely um, to generate an infinite board state. So there's definitely that kind of thing you can also do. Yeah, that's definitely something that we can anticipate. I expect something like Seedborn Muse will show up pretty popular for Amara also. That way you can yep. tap for, for mana with a Cryptolith Rider, or tap her with a Glares of Duel. Then Seedborn Muse is going to be like, shoop, now she's untapped. And so you can just really easily fill out your board that way. So this is pretty classic for token making, but I like that it gives us a slightly different direction. And also as Matt and as Dana, as you mentioned, that this is a nice, probably going to be a much more budget replacement instead of a Reese deck. Who, I mean, like Reese is cool, but Amara is holding the fort really nicely too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, so. I like I like stuff like like you guys said, like presence of gone type effects. Yeah, right, which allow you to make even more stuff, and then yeah, yeah, this definitely seems right up your alley. Which is glad I'm glad that you got the chance to talk about it. Would you also like to tell us about our other Selesnian legendary Tristani Discordant? I would. So Tristani Discordant is three green white, so a five drop for a legendary creature Dryad who is a one four and reads. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So a nice anthem effect right out of the box. Uh, when Tristani Discordant enters the battlefield, create two one-one white soldier creature tokens with lifelink. So the same tokens that Amara creates. And that also reads a kind of weird text. Uh, at the beginning of your end step, each player gains control of all creatures they own. 
And we all pause and try and think really quick why that's there? I think it's something that we don't know is coming in future sets, maybe. I, I, uh, I at, least, at least in the context of standard. I think the designer has a friend who plays Marie Ribéry or Ravina Soulsinger and just wanted to build a deck to screw over his buddies. Oh, those commanders that gain control of other, yes. of other creatures. <laughs> I guess, I mean, this is definitely... Wrong. The antithesis to effects like that. It is it, it is nice. It can prevent other people from like reanimating your creatures and then you'd make sure that you get them back. But it is a curious line of text to see on a legendary creature when it, it probably feels like it won't do too much too often. It, it is a weird thing. I guess when I look at this, Tristania Discordant, I definitely feel exactly that way. All three of these abilities seem to be pulling in different directions and I'm not entirely enthused, not gonna lie. I mean, the first two abilities I think are fine. Kind of what Dana said about Amara feeling like an upshifted uncommon to rare. This kind of feels like a rare that got upshifted to a mythic just for the set. Uh, The last line, I really don't know what to do with. Like, Homeward Path is fine. Sure, whatever. I think it's a middle finger to Jason Alt, just with all of his, you know, control magic effects that he likes to play. (laughs) But, I mean, it's fine. It'll be a good creature in the 99. You know, Anthem effects aren't bad. Uh, We have Ravo Soultender, you know, from the pre-cons a few years ago, he's an anthem on a stick and he gets quite a bit of play. So I know part of that's because he's a partner, not saying they're head to head, you know, the same card. Sorry, Joey. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it's a fine card. I think it'll go in plenty of, of decks. I just don't think it'll be in, or it'll have as many decks where it's the commander as Amara, for example. The the most fun I think that I would probably have if I were to try a Tristani Discordant deck would just be Anthem Tribal. So you're playing a whole bunch of stuff like Glorious Anthem and like, uh, I think there's Gaia's Anthem and then uh, there's Conclave's Blessing is another one. So just the entire deck is just built out of Anthem effects so that when you play a 1-1, it is actually going to be a 7-7 when it hits the field. That's probably a fun direction to take with her. But aside from that, it is a pretty strange ability to see. And it's, I don't know, it doesn't it doesn't grab me the way that, for example, Imara does. And and as, as for the Anthem thing, sure, you've got like Danisha Capuchin also... You know, on a body has an anthem or Elish Norn in those colors as well. So you could absolutely go that route. Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I, if I never ever saw this at the top of a deck in a game shop anywhere, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think it's bad or anything. I just like, I'm having a tough time visualizing the person looking at this card and going, I want to build that deck. Right. And unfortunately, and maybe listeners have been able to pick up on this so far, there's not a ton of enthusiasm in my voice for these particular commanders. I'm actually not grabbed by by any of these. I'm not sure that I feel the pull to build a deck the way that I usually do when a new set comes out. There's not a single legend that's making me reach for my box of cards to find stuff that works with them. I don't mean to make that sound like a huge incrimination, but these definitely feel like commanders that are and kind of a set effect, we see this. Most of the set feels as though it's actually not necessarily built for our format. Some of these are definitely intriguing, but I am noticing that we've gotten better stuff in the past is just kind of how it feels. And again, that's fine. We actually, I mean, we just got off of Commander 2018 with some of the best commanders I've ever seen. So I am a, like totally like, that's fine. We can take a break. We just got spoiled. We just had Commander Christmas. But not many of these are actually like leaping off the page at me. I just wanted to make sure that I put that out there. I think that's a super fair point because, I mean, like you said, we just had the, the pre-cons come out. We just had Battle Bond, which had some really cool, uh, some partner effects again. Uh, Najila for crying out loud. We've had a, a glut of just very, very powerful commanders, especially 
uh, over the past you know nine months or so. So I think it's okay that this set maybe feels a little underwhelming as far as legendary creatures go. Yeah, right. Not every set is for us commander players, and I should definitely wholeheartedly acknowledge that. Like we've just been spoiled, and other players play a lot of other different formats too, and they deserve to have some some sets for them too. I agree with all that. Yeah, I mean, this game isn't built for... It was built like, like standards, the thing that people play. Um, but I did want to put that impression that I'm getting out there because I think that that could probably be a thing that several people are feeling, even if they don't necessarily vocalize it, because I think that it will affect the statistics that we see on EDH Rec. I'm not sure that these will become incredibly popular commanders compared to some of the other stuff that we already have in these colors. I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, we also have a couple of other Boros commanders, but we're frankly not even going to mention them. Not because we hate Boros. We had an entire episode about how we want Boros to be good, but these are the Boros commanders. We know they're not going to see any play, and that's the unfortunate truth. Yeah, it's not. It's not that we don't want to not talk about them. It's just we're trying to focus on the cards that we think are going to get the most play in the format. And I mean, Tajik is. I, I love the original Tajik, and I don't think anybody's going to be persuaded to play the new Tajik over the old one. Yeah, and the new Aurelia is not nearly as enticing as the old one either. No. So, if, if, yeah. you're if you're playing some variant on Boros Angel Tribal, the fact that the new Aurelia costs four mana means she probably makes the cut just because there's a dearth of efficiently costed angels. And beyond that, you'll probably never see it. Right. Yeah, which is a little unfortunate. But putting the, the Boros unfortunateness aside, uh, which of these commanders? We usually do a bet. I'm not sure, since I mentioned I am a little down on these particular commanders. I'm not sure that I'm necessarily in a betting mood, but is there one that you guys think will rise above the others? I'm always in a betting mood, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you keep winning them. That's, well, uh, that's true, too. It's so not where gambling. would you put your chips, do you think? I think Nulazov is probably going to get the most decks because it's it's not like prohibitively hard to build like it is in Trada or Atrada. It's not as easily hated out as Azoni. Um, I think Lazav is kind of that nice balance in between. I really like Amara. My heart says green white because I am green white as a conclave myself, Morgan. I, it doesn't work without <laughs> you, Joey. But I, I do think Lazav probably will get the most decks uh, to his name. Yeah, I 100% agree on that. But Dana, what do you think? I think that's probably the safe guess too, just because he's probably the most unique. There's no other commander that's really doing what he's doing. Um, I think I think we all agreed Niv was pretty strong, but in you know how many people are going to be like, well, I'm going to take out my existing Niv Mesic deck and replace him. I mean, maybe people will, but that that isn't an exciting thing. Whereas I think. If you're looking for people that are going to be like, I really want to build this commander for this commander, I think Lazav is probably the one that will make people build a deck they didn't already have. None of the rest leap out at me as something where people are going to be, I can't wait to get this commander and build around it. Right. That's definitely something to note. We tend to see higher popularity when we look at EDHREC. We see higher popularity on the commanders that do something a bit more original. And since Niv-Mizzet is doing a bit more of the same, we probably will see a bit more, you know, stymied statistics on that particular commander, as opposed to Lazav, who is taking that Demir stuff in a slightly different direction than the old Lazav. So that's, I think, why we're all coming to that conclusion. Now, I could see something now, like down the road in like three years, People have just gradually swapped out their existing Niv-Mizzet deck for this one. Right, right. But I don't think, I think in a month or two months when you check, I don't think anyone's rushing to do that. 
Yeah, that definitely makes sense to me too. So it sounds like we think Lazav will be the most popular. We will have to check back on that in a couple months when we do our next set review for the next Ravnica set. Yeah. But those are just the legendary creatures that we've been talking about. We've got a couple of other cards that we got to get to as well. So let's move now to the Planeswalkers. We're going to start with Ral Is It Viceroy. This is the Is It Planeswalker for five mana. That's three blue red. He starts at five loyalty and he's got a couple of really crazy abilities. First is a plus one. Look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your hand and the other into your graveyard. Then he's got a minus three. He does damage to target creature equal to the total number of instant and sorcery cards you own either in exile or, or excuse me, in exile and in your graveyard. Little confusing, but he can give you some card advantage, pretty nice to see, or he can deal some damage, pretty nice to see there too. But what's his ultimate? Minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, this emblem deals four damage to any target, and you draw two cards. Wow. Nuts. So some emblems you can survive, that is not an emblem that you will belong of this earth when someone gets it into play. Yeah, Talrand, move aside. When you cast a spell, Talrand makes drakes, but when Ral casts a spell, he does damage and gives you more card advantage so that you can cast more spells. That's pretty crazy. But we also shouldn't just evaluate a Planeswalker based on its ultimate, because in a multiplayer format, a lot of people are going to have opportunities to attack your Planeswalker. So do the other two abilities make him feel, you know, worth it? I think so. I I, I mean, you're, you're in freaking cyclonic rip colors so <laughs> let's let's just be real here um i i really like Rao. i don't play a whole lot of visit either um just grixis colors in general I've, I've never been shy about that but like if they made play all planeswalkers legal as your commander uh i would be really tempted to build a route deck this is just it seems very very fun it, it protects itself fine but like for a spell slinger deck like you do this and then you do chandra from kaladesh put those two in a deck together and like you just cast a spell and you can just start doming everyone. And it like, it ends game super, super quick. I think it's a very, very fun way to go about this. I think a lot of visit players in general are going to like, uh, are going to want at least want to put Ral in their deck. Dana, what are your thoughts? My rule of thumb personally for planeswalkers is I want to know whether the one ability, the one use I'm going to guarantee to get it, is that enough to justify it, right? So if I'm thinking worst case scenario, I play this Planeswalker, I use it one time, and then somebody kills it, do I do I at least feel okay about having gotten one use off it? You know, obviously you're very rarely going to be thrilled with that unless you're playing the original Soren, but you should at least be like, oh, you know, worst case scenario, that was okay. I don't know if his worst case scenario is something that justifies it for me. Yeah, he has a huge upside if you can keep him around for four turns, get that ult, and not have him take any damage, but... I don't know if paying five mana just to get that plus one and then risk losing him is something I want to invest in. And also his minus three is pretty inconsistent when it comes to protecting him. There's absolutely going to be games where you drop it and, you know, blow up the biggest threat because you've got six instance rosaries in your graveyard. But there's going to be times when you don't too and maybe he can't protect himself. I think he's fine. I don't love him. I'm leaning a bit more on Dana's side here, unfortunately. I do like that ultimate, but without guarantees of him getting there, it can be a little rough. 
with that said, I think that there are certainly places for them, but it's kind of funny. I think the best places for Ral are actually not going to be the traditional places that you would expect to put a, uh, a spell slinger type card into. So I don't think that, for example, Melek or Mizzix will actually need Ral as it Viceroy. I actually think that the places he'll see play are in a Will and Rowan Kenrith deck, for example, or maybe a Karanos God of Storms, or uh, Dana, you had made the uh, Jorah Weatherlight Captain as a... Uh, a historic matters sort of as a super friends deck and that would be another great place for him too so a bit more of the grindy is it as opposed to the quick spell slinging is it is probably where he'll see uh the best competition for him that seems like the best place where he'd be able to to flex a bit yeah i definitely agree that it doesn't really seem like a dana card with the the high floor <laughs> type of type of effects <laughs> but i th- i think that there i mean to me is it's all about variance there's you know very low floor very high ceilings if you like that type of card, I think this is perfect. Yeah, you know, that's pretty fair. But we've also got one more Planeswalker. Dana, would you do us the honors and read us Vraska Golgari Queen? Yes, indeed. Vraska Golgari Queen, two black and green, so four mana total. For legendary Planeswalker Vraska, she, got a, she comes into play with four loyalty. She has a plus two, which says you may sacrifice another permanent. If you do, you gain one life and draw a card. But it's a you may, so if you don't have anything you want to sacrifice, you can just roll her up for two and and not have to actually lose anything. Um, Her minus three, destroy target non-land permanent with CMC three or less. And her minus nine is you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. (laughs) Okay. I mean, we've seen Frasca's iterations before where she gives stuff death touch or when people hit her, the creatures die. And she's in her original form. She made some tiny creatures that have that lose the game ability whenever they, you know, hit a person. But in this case, she's giving an emblem to your whole team. That's uh, that's pretty intense. Yeah, I like it. I think using the the, the metric I said before about Rao in this case, uh, four mana is, you know, less than five. But I think when you drop her for four and you... You know, if you have to minus three her to destroy a scary non-land permanent, you probably feel okay for abrupt decaying something um, for four mana. It's not ideal, but you probably don't feel terrible about it, worst case scenario. And then you immediately, if you plus two her, she's immediately up to six loyalty for four mana. That's also pretty challenging to deal with for something you spent four mana on. So I like her plus two as well. Yeah, you have to sacrifice something, but, you know, there's a whole ton of tokens floating around in most commander decks so i like her better than ralph for sure i'm i'm actually of two minds here i don't i i I do like what you're saying but i'm not sure you've completely convinced me i think i'm leaning away from you on this planeswalker because the destroying something three or less that doesn't strike me as it's going to destroy enough stuff to help you protect her and plus putting her down to just one loyalty at the that ability almost guarantees that she's gonna die so that strikes me as being kind of, um, and her, her, her plus two, sacrificing a permanent, that can be useful. We've seen definitely a lot of decks that make great use of sacrificing stuff, and putting her at six loyalty is great, but I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I'm going to use that word that you guys think is vague, trepidatious about this one, because I'm not sure that the payoff is actually here. Well, here's my other caveat I didn't mention. I said I liked her more than Rao. I still don't like her enough to run her. Like, I still uh, wouldn't put gotcha. her in a deck. Whoa. I like her more than her out, but I don't like her enough where I'd actually put her in a deck. Well, hold on some you. police over our eyes. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys. I don't, I don't know if I would put her in very many decks of my own. I think her ticking up is kind of do nothing. Like, if you're playing, a, a bunch of people were saying, oh, she's going to be fantastic in Lord Windgrace. 
sure. That that's fine. <laughs> there's but a lot. There's I, a I, lot of cards that are fantastic in Lord of the Grave. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You're, you're talking about you know we we say you know build a hundred. 50 card pile like that's a 300 card pile for lord Windgrace. so um, <laughs> yes it is that was one yeah, of the more difficult decks for me to brew yeah like it i i think if you're paying four mana to abrupt decay something you're gonna feel really bad i i just don't i don't see it a lot of people like this is not a this is not a planeswalker that you play on turn four because you're just not gonna have enough permanence to make ticking up you're you're, you're paying four mana for six loyalty planeswalker and pass the turn you don't actually get a whole lot out of it. I just, I, I don't see it. I'm, I'm not super keen on Vraska. I, I think there's going to be some decks that will pop up that just are very good at grinding out value. That's fine, I guess. I, that's not the deck for me. I, I just, I'm not probably going to play Vraska in maybe a deck ever. Right. As opposed to Ral, where I think that Ral does have some pretty good utility in decks that maybe are a little off the wall for Izzet, that people don't usually associate with Izzet, with like all those Spellslinger things, and he might be better in a grindy sort of area. Vraska, by contrast, I think is actually perfectly good in the stuff that we know is already popular in Golgari, such as Marin of Clan Naltoth. But it gets exactly back to that thing that you guys mentioned as, well, yeah, a lot of stuff is good in those decks already. Does this warrant enough to make the cut? Because we're already strapped for for putting stuff in there as it is. You can say, oh, this is amazing in that deck, but you got to take something out of it too. And there's a lot of stuff that's good in, you know, in these colors that already allows you a lot of the effects that we're seeing already and sometimes more efficiently. So while I do appreciate Vraska, I'm with you guys. I'm not sure that she's going to make the cut. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't think Vraska will ever, ever, ever live long enough for you to alter. Like as soon as you play her, people are going to look at that ultimate and it reads, you know, (laughs) scary, scary, scary. Yeah. That player loses the game. Whereas by comparison, Raul just reads four damage. People can survive four damage. They can't survive. You lose the game. Right. Uh, I, I think Vraska is going to have a way bigger target on her than, than, than Raul ever will. Yeah, I think that's also very fair. Okay, so we're going from the Planeswalkers now. We want to mention a handful of the split cards. This is something that Ravnica is super famous for. They always have those awesome split cards. However, they've changed the naming scheme on these particular, which personally kind of bugs me instead the Joey of Joey Chagrin I'm it's happening a couple of times in this set I'm not gonna lie there are a couple of things that just feel slightly off that keep on you know nettling at me and the fact that the split card naming convention has changed happens to be one of them rather than being the classic phrases like a wax and wane instead we've got things that are very alliterative so you've got response and resurgence expansion and explosion or in one case discovery and dispersal which was actually edhrex preview card and you can go check out mason's article on edhrex.com to go check out his evaluation of the new card let's start with discovery and dispersal since it was our preview card so this is the uncommon demir split card discovery is two mana one and a hybrid blue black for a sorcery at surveil to then draw a card very simple effect. It's a bit like a ponder, only instead of scrying to, you're surveilling to, and you can put stuff into your graveyard and then you'll draw. Pretty simple, efficient, and on the opposite side we've got dispersal. So this is five blue and a black for an instant that says each opponent returns a non-land permanent they control with the highest converted mana cost among permanents they control to its owner's hand, then discards a card. Pretty disparate effects here. A lot to take in for an uncommon. What are your guys' thoughts? I mean, I, Discovery is kind of like a, a preordained type of effect. You know, you, you scry to, surveil to, and draw a card. That card is banned in Modern, so we know it's a very powerful type of effect just as a cantrip, getting stuff in your graveyard. Some decks are going to like it. Some decks don't care. 
the scribers surveil argument we're not going to have here because they're not the same thing. All right. Disperse. What I should go ahead. Sorry. Just what I should point out is that discovery is two mana as opposed to the preordain at one mana. So that is significant. Yeah. Very significant. Dispersal though, kind of like a recoil type of effect. Um, Dean Goody tweeted out, what are some different type of effects? And they're, they're played at a non-zero amounts in, in commander. It is five mana for an instant that, I mean, you may not always get something great, but the fact that, um, it gets the highest converted mana cost of any non-land permanent for, for somebody. That is pretty powerful, just being able to bounce something in general. Not Cyclonic Rift, powerful, obviously, but we'll take what we can get. Yeah, um, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it, the, the, and I think this, the, We're really enthusiastic about well, our preview I, card, guys. Yeah, no, <laughs> no I, I, I think it's, it's an interesting effect. I don't know if it's an interesting enough effect to put it in EDH deck. And I don't, I don't think either half is. I think we have two cards that are... I think these are definitely balanced for standard. And I, th- I think the power level difference between commander and standard means these, for the most part, don't quite make the cut. Like, dispersal's interesting enough, and there's going to be times when conceivably you're going to, you know, pop that worm coil engine back to one person's hand and hit someone else's privileged position and hit someone else's niv-mizzet or whatever and feel like a god. And there's times it's... It's not going to do anything, and I just don't like cards that, you know, don't do anything sometimes for five mana. And and it's also attached to a sorcery, so you don't even have the option of like, okay, I'm going to wait in this instant and see what happens, and if I don't have a dispersal target, I'll draw a couple cards. That doesn't work. You've got to wait, because discovery is sorcery speed, so you can't even really make it a choice. You have to decide for the end of your turn if you want to cast discovery or not, and then if you decide not to and hold dispersal mana and nothing scary comes down or no one attacks you that you want to bounce their biggest creature, then you've got five mana sitting there. I, I just, I, I think there's too many things that are slightly off about it. And I would imagine I'll be saying that about most of these split cards. Right. And I, I do, I have actually glanced ahead at some of the notes that you made about the split cards. We will get to that in a second. For now, I think what would actually be really helpful if listeners are intrigued by this particular card, Mason did a really excellent breakdown in his article where he previewed the card, uh, talking about things like uh, Crackling Doom, which has a pretty similar effect of making everyone else sacrifice a really high-costed thing, uh, trying to take a look at some other cards that do similar-ish effects. And especially one of the things that he went into was average converted mana cost of commanders. And frequently, the commanders can tend to be some of the more expensive targets on the board and that can be some pretty good tempo advantage so it was neat to see his particular breakdown about that because dispersal bouncing everything that is of a high cost well one thing per person that is that is a high cost like that can actually be a bigger advantage than sometimes it looks so i think that his is definitely a better breakdown than we're currently giving right now sure i'm really just i'm plugging his article because i think he did a really great job on it so i just want to make sure that people see it yeah mason did yeah. yeah mason did mason things on, on the Mason article. does good work, not gonna lie. I was really happy to have him on the cast as well. Uh, but yeah, there is sort of a, a feeling that we're noticing about a lot of the split cards, actually. So Dana, how about you tell us about our new split card, Status and Statue? Sure. Um, status and Statue, two halves. Both are instants here, so I do like that better. Status is a hybrid black-green, so single mana. Target creature gets plus one, plus one, and gains death touch until end of turn. Uh, and Statue is two black-green, so four total mana. Also an instant, destroy target artifact, creature, or enchantment. I think this, I mean, this, is, prob- good. Yeah, this is probably my favorite of the bunch, and I, th- and I would say that the reason for that is because Statue, you know, four mana to destroy an artifact, creature, or enchantment, that's not 
amazing or anything, but like that's almost always going to be worthwhile if you're in a situation where there's a card on the field you have to get rid of. Playing four mana to deal with an instant speed is that's all right. Status as well, like it's it, that's much more of a combat trick, I think, for limited or standard, giving a creature plus one, plus one, and death touch. But in EDH, there's times where you know someone's throwing something into your Birds of Paradise, thinking you're just going to chump block and they'll kill you next turn. You know, throwing death touch on that as an emergency versus just killing it outright with statue, um, save yourself three mana in the process, probably, probably feels pretty good as well. So it's not an entirely irrelevant combat trick in commander uh, i think both halves probably play but I, I again i just don't know if there's an if there's enough here right so i have a question for you would you run this over the card putrefy putrefy is the three mana golgari instant that says destroy target artifact or creature it can't be regenerated so this one for an additional mana can hit an enchantment um man i i just don't think i would particularly because i think putrefy is already fighting for a spot you know you've with with a card we haven't discussed yet, Assassin's Trophy, but you're in oh man, Assassin's Trophy. But you're in colors that have Assassin's Trophy, and you have Beast Within, and you have Wind Grace's Judgment, and Abrupt Decay, and you have Maelstrom Pulse. Granted, it's a sorcery, but you're already it's already becoming a crowded field in Golgari for targeted removal. Does this one make the cut? I mean, it's a fine card, and I feel like maybe you know ten years ago, it's it's a star in in, in Golgari EDH decks. I just don't know if it. I don't know if it does it anymore. Yeah, you know that's that's a fair assessment. I mean, I'm a classic Golgari player, and all those cards that you mentioned, yeah, we've got a lot of removal already in this, so we do have to make the cut somewhere. And while I appreciate the versatility of this card, I'm I'm not sure if it can fit in along with the other stuff that we've been spoiled with. Like, man, after this and Assassin's Trophy and Windgrace's Judgment, like, green-black is getting a lot of removal, which means only so much of it is actually going to be able to fit into the deck. Right. It's kind of the Vindicate problem, where Vindicate was an amazing card for how many years, but now it's competing with Utter End and Anguish Unmaking, and that makes it much more difficult to slot into a deck. It's kind of the same deal here. Um, You know, there's just a lot of contenders for those slots. Right. All right, I'm going to move on to one last split card here, and that is Response and Resurgence. This one, I think, is also pretty nifty. This is a Boros card, actually. I know we didn't talk about any Boros Legends, but, you know, Boros still has some pretty interesting cards now and then. We're not trying to crap all over Boros. I do think it's an interesting color pair, and especially with this particular card. The first half isn't, you know, what I'd call ideal. It isn't terrible, though. So Response is two Boros hybrid mana. So you can pay either red-red or white-white or red-white. It's an instant that deals five damage to an attacking or blocking creature. It's not great. It's not bad, but it's not great. The other half, however, is Resurgence. For five mana, that's three red-white. You get a sorcery that says creatures you control gain first strike and vigilance until end of turn, and it gives you an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. I actually really like that spell. That's one of the better extra combat spells that I've seen because First Strike is better than it looks and Vigilance is excellent. And you can cast this before you attack to get two free Vigilant attack steps with First Strike. Like, that's gonna be a bit of a powerhouse. If people are running that in something like a Tana deck or they're running that in their Aurelia deck, like, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, this is probably the one card that isn't, or the one half of a card that isn't kind of a watered-down version of an existing card. If Resurgence was a card unto itself, that's probably playable in quite a few Boros stacks. Like if it was just that half, extra combat step and first strike and vigilance for five mana, yeah, that's probably playable if you care about extra combat damage in Boros. 
and you have the advantage of having an attacked on sentry modular mode that allows you at instant speed to deal with an emergency, something that's, you know that you can kill for five damage late in the game or something. Yeah, I, I think this one is probably maybe the, I don't know if it's the most playable, but I think the decks that care about that kind of effect are going to slap this in a lot more frequently than you'll see them putting in status or statue or discovery dispersal. Right. One of the things that I see that you've noted is that a problem with split cards tends to be that they have a slightly watered down version of existing cards and they're attached to a half of a card that you're probably never going to use. And I think that is probably the case for this response and resurgence. You're rarely going to need the response half dealing damage to an attacking or blocking creature. But the resurgence I don't think is too watered down and that's what makes me like it. I think this is actually a very competent version of the extra combat effect. I think it's pretty gnarly in narsa decks i, I think you but don't then, i think you don't care so is everything though. right yeah i think you don't care if you never cast response like if response is never ever used you just you're, you're good enough with resurgence right so those are some of the split cards that we do like those are probably the ones that we anticipate seeing the most play seeing the highest popularity on eda track but now we're out of the field of categories now we're done with the legendary creatures with the planeswalkers and with some split cards let's move on to the best of the rest we hinted at this card earlier it's assassin's trophy it's probably the best card in the set gonna say it right now matt let us know about this ridiculous spell so this ridiculous spell is the dana roach special extremely high floor uh so assassin's trophy is a green and a black for an instant that reads Destroy target permanent and opponent controls. Its controller may search its library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield, then shuffle their library. Nuts. It's so freaking good. <laughs> That's, oh, my there's, gosh. There's, there's not a single deck that doesn't want this. It's, give, me, give me 20 of them. It's almost so good, there's nothing to say. I mean, frankly, kind of, yeah. Like, this is better than your Beast Withins in those decks. This is better than your Putrefies. It can hit anything. Oh, they get a basic land? Who cares? People run Path to Exile for exactly this reason. And this can hit more stuff than Path to Exile. This can even hit lands. This can turn anyone's land into a basic land. This card's ridiculous, and it is pre-selling for costs that make my wallet really, really mad at me. I'm probably not going to pre-order any until if they ever go down. But holy crap, this spell's amazing. This, yeah, this card is insane. Like, like I, I, I play multiple formats, and I want four of them at least for every format. Like, I want to put this in any green-black X deck. It's just too yeah. powerful. Like, you blow up somebody's Gaia's Cradle, and they get a forest. You blow up somebody's Ugin, the Spirit Dragon, they get an island. Like, it's, it's so insane, like, being able to hit any permanent, lands included, for only two mana. For that, that minimal downside like that is wild. Yeah, this isn't just a Ravnica staple or an EDH staple. This is a game staple. This is changing up a lot of crap. Yeah, I mean, I don't like saying like this card needs to be in every deck. It's a it's a pet peeve of mine. But if this it needs to be in every deck, Dana. Well, but but if it needs if to this, be in every deck. Right. But if this isn't in your deck, that's capable of playing it, and and the reason it isn't in there isn't like I couldn't afford one or I don't have one or I'm being stubborn. There's no other reason you're going to give other than I just don't have one or I couldn't afford to pay for it or, you know. Which are fair reasons. Oh, absolutely. Like, but like, you're, yeah. There, yeah. there's no situation. There's a lot of really good cards where like I can imagine a compelling argument for not running it. Like, you know, some weird interaction, whatever. This card is just going to be good in every deck that can run it. That's it. And there's not better stuff bumping it out. It is the better stuff. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you're playing Abrupt Decay, like, Abrupt Decay is a great card, don't get me wrong, but like this is better. 
the uncountable clause versus any permanent, no mana cost included. In Commander, yeah. In Commander mm-hmm. especially, yeah. If you're playing a, Abrupt Decay in Commander, play this one instead. You'll thank me later. And Dana and Joey. <laughs> right, us. yeah. The royal okay. we, as we put it. Yeah, so we can gush and gush and gush about Assassin's Trophy, but we've got a lot of other cards to get to, so let's breeze through them really quickly. The next one is Thousand Year Storm. This is an it enchantment, which, interestingly, is not something that I say very often. Usually the it mythic spells that we see tend to be exactly that, spells, instant and sorceries. But here we've got an enchantment. So it's four blue-red that says, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it for each other instant or sorcery spell you've cast before it this turn. You may choose new targets for the copies. Uh, wow. All of your stuff gets Storm. Right. Wow. Yeah. It like snowballs everything in like a weird Arjun the Shifting Flame type of everything gets bigger the more you do it. Aetherflux Reservoir type thing. Right, exactly. This is, I mean, if, <laughs> if the storm decks already exist in Commander, and this is making sure of it, frankly, like this is kind of ridiculous. If I were to put this into a Yidra stick, for example, oh my goodness. The the one thing I will note about it, I, I think, though I think it it's something that you really do want in a storm type deck, um, because if you compare it to something like Swarm Intelligence that just copies a spell, You've got to get three spells deep, right, before this starts equaling Swarm Intelligence in a single turn. Because Swarm just copies that first spell. In this case, it doesn't copy a spell until the second one you cast, in which case Swarm would have copied them both. So it's the third spell you cast for the turn before you actually get ahead. So I think, like, generically speaking, this is a little more work than Swarm Intelligence to get value out of. But the Storm decks that want it can abuse that value in ways they can't with Swarm Intelligence. That is a very fair assessment. I am being a little blinded by, you know, my, my desire to make this thing go off. But you're right. This doesn't, you know, give as consistent. This is definitely something that you have to crank up to to make it give out that exponential benefit. And uh, yeah, like you, you are going to have to dedicate a bit more time to this. So that's a good thing to reel us back to reality. I appreciate that, Dana. You sure reel us back, but like... <laughs> but also let us dream the, the let, decks, it, let us let us live the right. dream of like ritual ritual mana geyser the, the decks that want Whoa. the decks that want this it's insane whereas oh, yeah. swarm is a little bit more easily easily generically slotted into it you know any deck but the decks that specifically like this effect it's just backbreaking completely right yeah like it, it's something that like as soon as somebody plays it you know they're up to no good exactly like right, exactly dirty mizix player that's just gonna Ritual, ritual, mana geyser, time spiral. This this isn't the card you. <laughs> oh no! Like I, I've I myself have played plenty of swarm intelligences, but I've seen some played too where the person's just like gonna you know ponder and factor fiction and generate some good value and keep doing what they're doing. This is not that. When this comes down, no. shenanigans are absolutely afoot. Yeah, absolutely. This No one plays Thousand Year Storm with innocence. And actually, that's going to be true of our next card as well, which is Mnemonic Betrayal. Dana, you want to read us about Mnemonic Betrayal? That thing looks ugly. Mnemonic, Mnemonic, Mnemonic. That's a town in Wisconsin. That is. Mnemonic, man, I just, in. I'm so sorry, I didn't realize you'd have trouble. goofing it up, I've now lost the ability to pronounce the name. Mnemonic Betrayal. A there it is. One blue and black, so a three mana for a sorcery. Exile all cards from an opponent's graveyard. From all opponent's graveyard, excuse me. You may cast those cards this turn, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any type. 
not color of any type, to cast those spells. At the beginning of the next end step, if any of those cards remain exiled, return them to their owner's graveyards, and then exile Mnemonic Betrayal. Dang right you should exile Mnemonic Betrayal. You do not want to get repeat effects of that. Getting access, like, Muldrotha-ing everyone else's graveyards? Are you kidding? This seems like a fantastic card that you untap with the turn after you play Thousand Year Storm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there, there we go. I mean, I, savage. I, 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 made, savage. I made a deck. You're welcome, everybody. You're a mean, mean man, Mr. Morgan. And that's actually what's nice. That, like, you're playing the card Yogmoth's Will just on everyone else's stuff. And you can cast any of their cards. It's not just their creatures. It's not just their instants and sorceries. It's anything that you need. And your mana can be whatever you need for that. So, I mean, all you have to do is mill people a little bit. This, of all of the cards that we've discussed so far, with the exception of Assassin's Trophy, because that thing is going to be an immediate staple in all of my decks, with the exception of the Assassin's Trophy, and Mnemonic Betrayal is the one that I'm personally most interested in, but who's surprised? I love graveyards. Yes, Joseph, as an acromancer myself, Schultz, <laughs> loves graveyard cards. Didn't see that one coming. And yeah, this one is just bonkers. My Memeoplasm is kind of intrigued. I have a Cursory Lazav deck that I'm also like, hmm, can I run this? And I think I can. If I'm going to be doing stuff like Rise of the Dark Realms, I might as well gain access to their spells as well. Casting other people's dead spells with something like a Diluvian Primordial or with a, uh, oh goodness, uh, a Spell Twine. Those are awesome. Just, I love getting other people's spells. Those tend to be some of their most powerful effects, even if they don't realize it. And those are the things that I'm frequently happy to revive. And even though I do have to pay the full retail with Mnemonic Betrayal, I actually have to pay the costs for other people's spells. I think that's a cost that I am like, I, I'm willing to pay that one because the decks that I think are going to try and abuse this are going to have some type of Cabal Coffer shenanigans to make sure you have tons of mana to make it worth it. But you don't even really necessarily need to abuse it for it to be worth casting. It only costs you three mana, and if you, you know, brainstorm out of one person's graveyard and sorts of plowshares a thing out of somebody else's and then cast a nature's lore out of a third person's graveyard, that's still pretty great value for the three mana you spent. Like, you don't need to do something backbreaking. You can just do a little bit of value, and it's probably paid for itself. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's that's a, a good point to make, too. It's a very, very solid card that I expect is going to see a lot of play in Demir decks because Demir loves putting stuff in other people's graveyards. That's just what they do. And now you get to steal it back from them. Really, really solid. Now, I will quick, quickly note, though, um, there is a thing. I, I stress this when I read it, but you can spend mana as though it were mana of any type. So you can cast things that require colorless, like the things out of the mm -hmm. um, the Battle for Zendikar block. And the, the downside note, though, is it's cast only. So you can't play lands like you can with Yogg's Will. Oh, well, then in that case, this card right. is Right, I mean, like, that's a relatively minor bump, but that's one of the great things about Yogg's Will and Commander is for three mana, even if you just, you know, throw another fetch land and play and grab one more card, it definitely pays for itself. You don't get that, like, little extra value bump out of this where you can get your land drop as well, but it's still a great card. If that's your biggest nitpick, right, exactly. still <laughs> exactly. a fairly powerful card. All right, we've got a pair of Selesnia cards here again. So, Matt, I'm going to pass it off to you. Can you tell us about these new Selesnian rares? Yeah, man. So I, I want to read both of them, but I'm only going to Bogart one of them. <laughs> so I'll, I'll do Rishkar's expertise light for everybody. So Camaraderie is a sorcery for four and a green-white. You get, and it reads, you gain X life and draw X cards, where X is the number of creatures you control. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So, big, fat, six converted cost sorcery. 
It's going to draw you cards. Hopefully. I mean, it doesn't get, you know, worse than that, frankly. Like, you're going to draw cards, and you might as well gain some life while you're doing it. This is a really great take on things like shamanic revelation effects. Yeah, it's it's super powerful. The, the creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. It feels kind of tacked on and unnecessary. Um, if you just had the first half of that card, I think it'd be fine. It'd be pretty good. And let's be honest, I'd probably play it in quite a few decks. Um, but yeah, it's just a super powerful card. It's not quite Rishkar's powerful. Token decks, I mean, green-white, we've talked about it several times over and over and over again. Green-white is very good at tokens. This is very good in token decks. So barring some sort of instant speed blowout, like this card is going to draw those token decks that can, you know, dump their hands pretty quickly. It's going to refill it in a big way. Right. I'm not sure if it's necessarily going to gain you as much life as Shamanic Revelation, which gives you more life if you have creatures with power four or greater. But I still like that we've got an additional, uh, an extra version of that effect because these colors, they can do some really powerful stuff with creatures. And I like seeing the way that they can also present more card advantage that way too. Uh, then there's also that other spell, March of the Multitudes, which really I think synergizes pretty darn well with the camaraderie spell. So March of the Multitudes is X, green, white, white for an instant that also has Convoke, which is nice. You can tap your creatures for mana. It's nice to see that Convoke is back. And it says create X, one, one, white soldier creature tokens with lifelink. That's it. You can tap your creatures and pay a bunch of mana and make a bunch of dudes. At instant speed, mind you. Pretty solid. Which is the yeah, important part there. Speed. Yeah, this is the Sphinx's revelation for Selesnya, basically. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I, I, I was giving, uh, I think it was DM, uh, DM Cross, who came on the podcast a while back. He was asking on people on Twitter, uh, what do you want to do from Guilds of Ravnica in Commander? Like, what's the most fun you want to do? And I told him, I want to play March the Multitudes with Cathar's Crusade and Doubling Season out. You're a mean man, Mr. Morgan. I just, I, I'm not good at math, but I'm going to make <laughs> other people be good at math. <laughs> No, was, when you have those things out, it's your responsibility to represent the board accurately. I'm just going to grab like a fistful of D20s and just put them on the board on 20. And if they think I'm wrong, I'm going to make them do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little simple to say, oh, these are just good Selesnya cards. But but they are. These are going to see play because a lot of what Selesnya loves doing is creating tokens. And these slot right into creature-centric builds. I am definitely a fan of these. Moving from the happy green-white into something a little darker, we've got the Doom Whisperer. Dana, will you welcome us to our Doom? I will whisper your Doom in your ear. Whisper, whisper those so sweet, sweet the doom sweet things. doomy nothings in your ear. Three and double black, so five total for a creature Nightmare Demon, which is a curious creature type. And I believe we'll be revisiting Nightmare as a subtype in the future with another creature here coming down the road, but... Doom Whisperer is a 6-6 for those 5 mana, so that's pretty efficiently costed as is. It has Flying and Trample, which is also pretty nice. But the most important part here is you may pay 2 life to Surveil 2. And there's no limit on how many times you can do that until you die. Yeah. I keep searching for the downside on this card and I can't find it. Which I think is an observation that another podcast person of the many magic podcasts that I listen to, I think that they've made that same observation before, and I'm probably just stealing what they said. But it, it's true. There's a five mana, six, six with flying and trample. And usually when we see that on a demon, we see something that makes it a drawback and there isn't one. Right. Like, like instead it just gets better. If it was just a five mana, six, six with flying and trample, that's still absolutely is going to wreck people in multiple formats. Maybe in commander, it's not quite as good. But that's that's still not bad. 
Mm-hmm. But And instead it does get right. better. You can surveil and put a bunch of crap into your graveyard. And I'm sure that there's no way that we can abuse putting crap into your graveyard. I mean, like every Gitrog monster busted combo deck has already been like, oh, you mean I can pay two life and throw that land in the graveyard and draw another card that I can pay? I mean, like it's it, this has just got so much combo potential and value potential and be down potential. And I mean, it's just a great card. Very, very solid. Matt, I know that you have some pretty strong opinions about Doom Whisperer, though. So I, I, I think it's a very powerful card. I don't disagree with you guys on that front. I just... I don't think it's some the, some of these knee-jerk reactions that people have where they're like, oh, it's going to be a preemptive ban day one. You're never going to get to play this in Commander. That is not the case at all. So if you think this card is going to get banned out of the gate, slow down, bucko. <laughs> it, it'll, it'll be it okay. It will not be banned out of the gate. It, it's not going to be banned out of the gate. Like Everybody was saying the same thing about Razaketh. That turned out okay. Like There's plenty of cards that people have seen. Let's slow your roll a little bit like it'll be okay like this is a very powerful i am not saying it's not but paradox engine is legal in this format doom whisperer will be legal as long as Par- as long as paradox engine is legal like let's just yeah. let's be let's be real here it, you know you can kill yourself pretty quick like you can't just like flip your library over and turn into your graveyard all of a sudden like you're gonna kill yourself <laughs> i mean and like you know, these, the Tajik players out there, the, you know, the Boros kids are like, okay, you put yourself to six life, lightning bolt, lightning helix, and you lose. Like, congrats. Like, you you did their work for them. Well, I would say that if people are running Doom Whisperer to put a bunch of stuff into their graveyard, sort of a la Hermit Druid, then the, the Boros player is not getting another turn after that. That's that's but, very true, too. But yeah, but like, Hermit Druid is legal. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic point. Like, traumatized right. is legal. Like, there there are very good ways to, to put stuff in your graveyard. Doom Whisperer is very good. It's it's not quite free, but free mana wise, like it will be powerful. I am not mm-hmm. saying it won't be, but let's let's slow down a little bit when we say it's going to be preemptively banned. You will get to play this card in Commander. Well, I, I think probably for yes. a very long time. I think Matt, you I, you, I, the I, right, I happen to agree. you had the right comparison when you mentioned um, Razaketh, but I would say also you have Bells and Lock in the same boat. Those are both fantastic, efficient you know game altering demons that have been out in the last two sets and people were also going nuts about both of those two cards initially and i don't know i i don't see them played that much too they're just really really good strong cards and so is doom whisperer and that's just what it is it's not gonna change anything for anybody yeah i mean yeah i like them a lot and you are 100 correct slow your roll about bands because we heard the same thing about razaketh and belzenlock and that clearly didn't happen they're they're Black gets big, awesome demons, and that's just what it is. Yeah, it's just it's just another super powerful yep. card that black players can play. Like, and that's great. We we play this format to play not Dana. He wants to min max everything. But right, <laughs> right. We, the, the royal we we play this this format to play these big splashy effects, and Doom Whisper is one of those. It's a great card, but it's not going to be banned. <laughs> Let's just be real. Yeah, but I mean, I I do have a lot of places where I would definitely want to run this because the efficiency that it, like just the cost of it and also the efficiency that it can like filter through your deck like that's just that's so good. It's oh, it's yeah. it's gonna have homes. It's gonna have so many homes. But I happen to agree with you that we should temper our expectations a little bit. There are and always have been some ways to do a lot of what this thing can also do. And so yes, it's it's very powerful, and that's exactly it. Yeah, and that's fine. Like the this, this format was made for powerful effects that we can't play other places. 
Doom Whisperer might get played a little bit in standard, but other than that, like it's a card for us. The right. command, the you, commanders may not be for us, but this card is, and that's great. You know, another card that's definitely for us. I mean, I kind of, you know, I had some words earlier when I was talking about the legendary creatures, and I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that these legendary creatures are designed for us as much as they are for like standard players. But you know, there is a card that is definitely designed for commander players in this format, and that is the card Divine Visitation, a five mana that's three white white, an enchantment. Mythic, and deservedly so, I'd say. It says, if one or more creature tokens would be created under your control, that many 4-4 white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance are created instead. What? That March of the Multitudes doesn't make 1-1 soldiers with lifelink anymore. It makes 4-4 angels? Holy smokes. This one is impressive. And they still get the Cathars Crusade triggers with doubling season. And then I wake up. I mean, the only deck that's maybe a little like, oh, I'm not as happy about this is Tristani because Tristani can usually populate and make 10-10s, but even she wants this. Let's be real. This is phenomenal. Yeah, the the only downside to this card, and again, this is kind of an embarrassment of riches situation, is all those decks that want this effect also have like 15 other enchantments in the four or five drop range they want to run. They've got double doubling <laughs> yeah. season and parallel lives and anointed procession and Catherine's crusade. And, you know, they tend to run things like, um, purge position and glare of subdual. And there's just like a ton of non aura enchantments. Those, those token decks want to run. And this is just one more to find room, find a slot for in those decks. Path of discovery again is a great one. So I guess that's a downside, but I mean, I would imagine you'll find a slot for it anyway. You'll you'll fight through yeah, the quotation marks around that word downside. Right. You'll fight through yeah, the pain I, I and make it happen. Yeah, yeah, the only thing I don't like about it is I can't entreat the angels and make them better there. Right. Yeah. It's just just sad. But like oh, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's my terrible. only criticism. Like this card is sweet. <laughs> but there's so many decks you're like, oh man, my taste is gonna is gonna kick out four four angels instead of one one spirits. Or my gave is Oh goodness, that's my gross. gave is gonna start making four four angels instead of one one, you know, sapperlings. Or like there's so many token generators in these colors that this just turns into a game winning situation. For, you know, you think you're safe and all of a sudden you're like, Oh, next turn I'm dead if I don't do something because I thought I was gonna see four one ones and now I've got Four 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 staring at me. That's bad business. Yeah, my favorite interactions are with Endric Sar, who makes thrills, but if he makes too many thrills, then the thrills will actually kill him. Well, instead of making thrills, he makes angels, yep. which means he's never at risk of being sacrificed. Or Ophiomancer, who says, if you don't have a snake, make a snake. Well, you're never going to have a snake, because you're always going to have an angel instead. And, so and both those cards are in value. my taste deck. Of course they <laughs> are, yeah. Divine Visitation is, I'm calling it right now, the most popular white card from this set. Not close. Hmm. Really? Um, it doesn't have too much competition, though, let's be real. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I think it has plenty of competition, but yeah, I, I, I think, like we said, the Commander's not quite there as far as what we want for Commander, but like all the, the, the best of the rest, or the rest of the best, whatever you want to say, I think there, there's, there's some pretty spicy cards in this. I think there's one white uncommon later we'll talk about, but um, I think other than that, you're probably right, Joey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right, actually. That white uncommon. Heck, why not? Let's get to it now. That's Crush Contraband, a four-mana instant that says choose one or both, exile an artifact, 
or exile an enchantment and you can actually do both and that's you know that's actually a really solid card that especially since it's an uncommon you guys might be calling out uh me right here and that's probably true since this is an uncommon it's probably going to see more play than the mythic because it's more available so okay you win on that one but yeah it's a really solid return to dust variant and it probably goes in more decks just because you know you're not running the enchantment divine vegetation in non-token decks whereas this can just go in any deck so i think that helps make it you know the, the numbers make it a little bit easier to run as well but i like the card a lot if if you're running return to dust dust currently you know the problem with return to dust again such as it is is if you want to hit two targets it's got to be during your main phase and double white isn't necessarily you know always easy either in this case you trade the flexibility of being able to hit two artifacts or two enchantments for having to choose artifact and enchantment so that's that's a bit of a downside but it's a little bit easier to cast because it only requires one white, and it's always an instant versus Return to Dust, where if you cast it as an instant, you only hit one target. Right. Return to Dust sees play in 27,454 decks, and this seems like it really holds its own with Return yeah. to Dust. So, yeah, I'm. All right. I got called out. Return to, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Return to Dust. Uh, Crush Contraband is definitely going to see more play than Divine Visitation. I like that you guys are making me eat my vegetables <laughs> instead of just going straight for the dessert. But v- Divine Visitation is also a really sick card. We've Speaking got of vegetables. All... <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, fine. I'll let you take the reins here. Go on and read our next card. So it's a made up word. I know that. Circuitous route. Circuitous. It's not Circuitous. a made up word. <laughs> definitely made up word, Matt. I'm with you. The rounded wor- the rounded route, as we'll put it. It's a sorcery for three and a green. Uh, search your library for up to two basic land cards and or gate cards. Put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. A explosive vegetation variant. Dana, what do you think? <laughs> um, <laughs> He's a good one to ask. He's written an entire article about how he doesn't think that explosive vegetation should see as much play as it does. I think, so. this, I, I think this would see more play explosive vegetation for two reasons number one if you're playing some kind of a mazes end deck obviously this is going to be fantastic for you but i think if you're playing on a really budget land base where you're running gates instead of more expensive dual lands the fact that this actually for explosive vegetation cost gets you two duels into play tapped i mean i I think in that situation it's better than explosive vegetation Right. I I actually really dig this card. I, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know, because I, I myself tend to have a bit more tuned mana bases. So yes. I'm, it's easy for me to overlook for sure. this. But there are a lot of folks who do not. And if you, and and if you don't, great yeah, if you don't, if you don't, this is really, really good for those people playing on a budget base or maybe playing some kind of a pauper variant. Or like I mentioned, Maze's End too. This is great if you're playing some kind of Maze's End variant. Oh, very. Yeah, that's actually kind of gross. <laughs> Yeah, it's it'll it'll be a very good card for for people like like you said, being able just to get two dual lands, that by itself will be will be great because yeah, you're you're doing a lot of fixing for four mana. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely the kind of thing that I like seeing more of. We've got a lot of cards that we still need to get through, so we're gonna try and blast through them now. The next one is Beast Whisperer. That's two green green for a two three elf druid that says whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. We've seen this effect before on a couple of different things. Uh, I think Soul of the Harvest is the one that comes most immediately to mind. So we know that it's a popular effect, and there's not much else to say except this elf is gonna see a lot of playing green decks. It's great. Play it. Yep. It's good. In any deck that <laughs> is playing Soul probably wants it, and. I would love to hear your case for why it's not in your elf deck. 
Yeah, this is a, a very strong effect for green to just be getting creatures. I think uh, a, another comparison might be Garrick's Pack Leader, only that makes it, you draw a card whenever you get something that has three power or greater. This instead is going to let you draw for things like your lower to the ground elf decks and stuff like that, which is definitely pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's just glimpse of nature on a, on a creature. Like, let's just call it like it is. Yeah, I've got one last one that I personally want to call out, and that is the card Plague Crafter. This is frankly just a strictly better Fleshbag Marauder and Merciless Executioner, and I'm all about it. So Plague Crafter is two and a black for a 3-2 human shaman that says when it enters the battlefield, each player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, and anyone who can't discards a card. I mean, holy crap. <laughs> like, I, I've... I've did not expect to be as excited about a lot of these cards as I have been, but this especially kind of takes the cake for me because I've got a Marin of Clan Neltoth deck who loves, loves, loves reviving things like Fleshback Marauder into play. And this widens my scope a little bit. If someone's already, you know, sacrificed all of their creatures, I also get to attack their hand. I really like this card. It strikes me as scary powerful. I wouldn't say it's strictly better just because the zombie subtype on Fleshback Marauder is oftentimes very relevant. This is a human shaman. Fair, yeah. However, plus the, plus the warrior subtype on uh, executioner yeah for that's fair that's fair um, whereas shaman is much less played um and as good as humans is in modern and other formats it's not really a tribe and commander that comes up that frequently however ignoring all that yes the fact that you can because th there's been enough times when i've seen a flush bag come down when someone at the table either because they're behind or because they're you know maybe playing a, a, a deck with few creatures doesn't get hit in this case well you lose your planeswalker if you have one and no creature or Worst case, you just lose a card. Like, this is always going to hit people full stop. Unless your hand is empty, you have no walkers and no creatures in play, it's going to hit you. And if it doesn't hit you, you're probably out of the game anyway. So, yeah, so much value here. Yeah, I'm really excited to revive that over and over again with Marin. But, you know, that's me, Mr. Necromancer person. Let's, you know, move away from some of my death magic stuff that I like and focus on some cards that we haven't mentioned that you guys really like. What's something that stands out to you of some of the other remaining cards from Guild Stratnica? I like Swiss Army Knight or Knight of Autumn, if you will. <laughs> uh, so Knight I like of, that name. Yeah, I, I didn't come up with that, so I can't take credit. Saw it somewhere on the on the internets. Uh, but Knight of Autumn is a dryad knight, excuse me. Uh, one green white for a two one that reads when Knight of Autumn enters the battlefield, choose one. Uh, you can put two plus one plus one counters on them, destroy target artifact or enchantment, or gain four life. There's just there's always gonna be a situation where this is gonna be playable. I mean if you're playing green white, like this is if you're playing Reclamation Sage, this is probably a little bit better because you have options. If there's no juicy target, you can just make a four three for three mana. Or you can gain some life, like a Kitchen Finks type card. Hmm. I mean, it, yeah, it, it's, it does a little bit of everything, and it's great, and you should probably play it. Yeah, I can't really argue with that. Reclamation Sage is playable, and so is this. Very solid. Dana, how about you? Um, I am a fan of Mission Briefing. Double blue for an instant, and you surveil two. Then choose an instant or sorcery card in your graveyard. You may cast that card this turn. And if that card you put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. So basically, it lets you kind of snapcast your thing back, but you surveil to possibly putting something even better than what your initial target was into your graveyard. Or worst case, just maybe setting up your draw for next turn. I think it's a great little value card that's not going to break the bank in terms of cost, and it's not going to you know win you games necessarily either. But if you're playing a Talran deck or you're playing a, a Kess deck maybe, it's just a nice, cheap way to 
generate some value and set up a play for next turn. I am definitely a fan of it. And I think there's also some synergy with like maybe a zombie deck or something having that value there to, you know, recast a card from your graveyard while maybe putting something in your graveyard to abuse next turn, whether we're talking about Sadisi, Sultai, or also would work in the new um, Lich Queen. I just forgot her name right now. Verena. Verena, there you go. So like there's also some additional synergy there with those kind of um, commanders. I think it's just an all-around very, very useful card. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that logic. There's a lot to like here, and I feel like you're kind of hinting that you want to put this really badly into your top. I do indeed. Uh, And I've got (laughs) one more that I like quite a bit too, um, Notion Rain. Notion Rain is a colorless, a blue and a black, so three mana for a sorcery, and it has Surveil 2 and then Draw 2 cards, and Notion Rain deals 2 damage to you. So essentially, it is a Demir... Read the bones, but instead of scrying two, you surveil two. Oh, yeah, I like that. I don't think that I'd actually seen that one. That's that's very. Solid. And it's a common as well. I, I'm a huge fan of read the bones, and uh, although Matt said he didn't want to get into whether scry or surveil are better than each other, I would say generally speaking, in commander especially, you would rather have those cards in the gra- in the graveyard than you would on the bottom of your library, because the cards that care I mean, about I know yeah, I the cards that care about their graveyard are going to be abusing that, whereas it's really tough to abuse the bottom of your library. So I would say if you're playing Demir, it's probably a better Read the Bones quite often. And Read the Bones is a really, really good card. Yeah, yeah. I think that's also fine. There's, And that's kind of one of the things that tends to always happen in sets like this with a huge multicolor focus. We've got stuff like Knight of Autumn. You'll be playing this in your Selesnya decks, probably over your Reclamation Sage. Or in a Demir deck, you'll be playing the uh, the Notion card that you mentioned as opposed to the Read the Bones card that yeah. you mentioned. Because they're just, in those decks, you can afford it. So we, we do tend to see a whole lot of that happening in these multicolor focus sets because there's already so many dedicated places that we can put these cards. There is one creature that I do want to mention that I think will probably be a little overplayed. I'm not as huge a fan of it, and that's the card Omni Spell Adept. I was wondering what you are going to say about that. (laughs) Yeah, so this is a 5 mana that's 4 and a blue. Human Wizard, it's a 3-4, and it's got the peculiar ability of 2 paying 2 and a blue, tap it, and you may cast an instant or sorcery card from your hand without paying its mana cost. On its face, I think this actually looks like a really powerful effect, but when I do a little math, it starts to look less powerful to me. It's kind of like an elvish piper in blue play really big stuff for a lot less cost which is cool but overall with the five mana that it costs to play him the summoning sickness that you have to take into account and the three mana activated ability it's technically eight mana before you get to do anything with this guy and that makes me feel a little wary he's certainly abusable with things like paradox engine but i mean everything is abusable with stuff like paradox engine surprise there And blue has access to like flash effects that you can put this into play to get around that summoning sickness. But even then, it still feels like it's a lot of investment for a payoff that you could probably get around with actually just casting the spells. It it just strikes me as a lot of mana investment to get that payoff. And I'm not sure that that's something I'm willing to pay. Uh, I I think I I really like this card. I think the ceiling is astronomically high. I I do agree that, that it's a lot of mana to get in, you know, get the ball rolling. But like, even if you're saving a couple of mana, if you cast, if you activate this ability twice, you're coming out ahead almost no matter what. As long as you're not like doing this to Gitaxian probe somebody. But like, I mean, you do an extra pay or not extra pay, expropriate, excuse me. Yeah. And you're already getting a discount there. 
But it's a discount of one mana. Yeah. Is that worth the risk of playing this and waiting a turn before you can use its ability? I, I think the flexibility, because you can cast instants too. So like, say, you know, you only have one blue open, but you have green and a red. You can still cast your cancel, whatever you want to do. Sorry, Dana. <laughs> you're off, like, you're off yeah, the There's a better now. cancel in this very there set. Is. Exactly. But yeah, like you, you can fix your mana even if you're not getting like a huge discount. You know, say, you know, you're, you're stuck on only blue mana, but you need black mana to cast something else. You can get around that. Like, I think this gives you a whole lot of flexibility. Yes, it is very expensive. There's a very, very low floor, but the ceiling is wild. Like, some of the things you'll be able to get away with are, are just awesome. So here's here's my problem with it. I think to really take advantage of it, you want to be running instant sorcery spells that have a relatively high casting cost. And you need to have a density of them in your deck to care about the fact that to like to run this card to justify, okay, I need to have, you know, I don't know what that number is, eight or ten expensive expropriate level cards, or at least six or seven CMC cards. Which means if this isn't out, running that many expensive cards becomes challenging to cast. You're trying to hard cast them without this, that isn't great. Versus Elvish Piper, where you're in green and okay, Elvish Piper, you're trying to hard cast, you're you're trying to use it to circumvent hard casting an eight drop two. However, you're in green if you have a bunch of giant fatties in green and your Elvish Piper isn't out, well, you may well have just ramped to the point where you don't care anyway. So Elvish Piper being in green kind of protects its usefulness by you ramping lands and letting you hard cast those. In this case, if you're running enough big spells to care about Omnispell Adept and you don't have it out, I think you're in a rough position holding a grip full of eight or nine drops that you're going to have to try to cast at full price. I, th- I have that's- I have a solution. Put Omni Spell Adept into play off of your Elvish Piper. There you go. Right. Sure. There you go. <laughs> and, and I think there's, there's decks like Jaleva where you're going to be trying to cast stuff off Jaleva's ability or or Narset or something like, along those lines where it's like a backup plan maybe because you're running big stuff in those decks anyway. So maybe it's maybe it's in in the original Joyra where she's going to suspend expensive things and this gives you another mm-hmm. plan to do that. Um, but I think Elvish Piper is generically a pretty useful card in a lot of decks, and I think this is way more build around than people realize. I I totally love your assessment there. And and one final thing that I do want to note about it is that it actually gives you the ability, since you can activate this ability on other people's turns, it actually allows you to play sorceries on other people's turns. And there are some timing restrictions that you could get around that way that allow you to do stuff that people don't usually see on instant speed to actually be done at instant speed. And, you know, that's not nothing either. But overall, I do agree with your assessment a lot, Dana. I, I think this is going to be kind of like the arcane artisan from Battle Bond, where we everybody undersold it at first, and then it just blew up and did some really cool things. All right, I you know that's that's fair. You time will tell if, whether you are right or me and Dana are right, and I know which person <laughs> I hope is right. I hope it's me because you keep winning all the bets, and I want to be right about something. You, you can be right that green white's good. I don't know. <laughs> nah, green <laughs> black man, green black all day. I, I got nothing right now. Yeah. He's got nothing but the truth on his side and something to that effect, I'm sure. Uh, uh, sure, I, yeah, that one. <laughs> I want to give a quick nod to some reprints before we wrap up here. And they're pretty solid reprints. We should acknowledge that the shock lands have been reprinted here, including steam vents, which is interesting because the art depicts neither steam nor vents, but it's always nice to see that the shock lands are back. And guys, we did it. Chromatic Lantern has finally been reprinted. Nice. 
that reprinted that needed a reprint masses. badly. Yeah. That really did. That's just such a good card. You can run that basically anywhere just to play magic on easy mode, frankly, so you don't have to worry about the specific costs of your cards. You don't need to be playing a four-color deck for this to be good. This is just a very, very solid mana rock, and I'm really happy to see that it's going to be more widely available now. So now to wrap up, do you guys have any final thoughts about the set? We've gone over a whole bunch of stuff, and I know that we're probably running pretty long, which we tend to do. But what are you know? What's the impression that you're getting from Guilty Ravnica? I think it's fine. I, I like I said earlier. I think we kind of got spoiled just in general with all the cool stuff that came out with Battle Bond and M19 had a lot of great stuff for Commander, a lot of great reprints. Dominaria is one of the best selling sets. Blah blah blah. Like we, <laughs> like it, it's a fine set. It's kind of like your Ixalan block. It's not, it's not a failure by any means. I know it might feel a little underwhelming, but like there's still some really good stuff going on. But yeah, I, I think it's fine. I think the flavor text actually on a lot of these cards probably was the best that it's been in a long time. There's just a lot of very silly cards. There were some that were kind of, well, duh. But like just some of the stuff like making fun of Is It Mages really just warmed my heart. Yeah, the flavor text on Divine Visitation is also quite funny. So people should definitely take a look, not just through the rules text, but also the flavor text for some of the stuff from here. It's it's pretty rewarding. Dana, what are your what's your impression? Um, I I definitely agree with with Matt that the com- by comparison is the biggest problem here, um, because I adored Dominaria. I think it was a just an amazing set and probably the best set we've seen since Return to Ravnica. And my second favorite block since Return to Ravnica was Ixalan. I know Matt said he thought it was underwhelming, but I loved Ixalan. I, th- I loved everything about it. I thought it had great cards in it. Had a lot of great commander stuff. I liked how bright and colorful and kind of upbeat and fantastical it was. I liked everything about that block as well. And you mentioned Battlebond. I'm a huge fan of Battlebond. It was a great play experience. There's so many good cards in there. It was also kind of a weird, different thing. So we had these three things right in a row, and we come to Return to Ravnica where you're super hyped up, or Return to Return to Ravnica, and you're hyped up because Ravnica. I love Ravnica. Everyone loves Ravnica. We're on like this roll of great sets. And it's a touch underwhelming just because after seeing all those things in a row, I thought it would be a home run and it feels like a solid double. Which yeah, is still fine. I, absolutely. Baseball players, yeah. yeah absolutely. Players make careers off of doubles. For sure. If Wizards had everything being a double, like they're still going to come out very far ahead. And we gushed about several cards. Yeah. Like, don't forget how excited we were about, you know, Assassin's Trophy. Yep. About some of the commanders. Like, they're doing different things just because it's not your typical like oh my gosh it's the best set ever like it's consistent and it's unique and it's different and that's fine but like if you if you yeah. look back at the original return to ravnica itself even just the first set i mean supreme verdict is in edh staple if you're in azorius cyclonic rift is obviously an insane card um, <laughs> abrupt decay which we mentioned sphinx's rev Deathrite shaman um chromatic lantern which got reprinted this time through rest in peace is in multiple formats vandal blast gutter snipe mm. pack rat and every rack debt and that and that's just like the top tier there's a bunch of like second tier cards too whether it's ethereal armor or a dread sees a lot of play or corpse jack menace and counter decks or underworld connections is kind of a bargain for Exian arena like the first return, or the first set in Return to Ravnica dropped twenty five or thirty cards that see a ridiculous amount of EDH play. So of course, by comparison, almost any other set is going to pale 
when held side by side with that. I mean, it's it's an unfair comparison, but like it's the one we're doing. We're comparing this to both Return to Ravnica and the last couple sets we got. That's yeah. Wow. You hit the nail on the head. I didn't even get a chance to give my impressions and you just gave them a voice. <laughs> That's but like you're you're absolutely right. We are comparing these this particular set probably a little unfairly and that's that that's fine. Like I mentioned at the top when I was like, oh, some of these commanders strike me as being pretty underwhelming. That is also, again, fine. There's room in this game for a ton of people to play in a ton of different ways. And EDH, while a really growing format, is by no means the most popular format because, you know, standard. And they should also build for that format too because this as a one-on-one -on -one game is also very, very intriguing and very strategic. And a lot of the cards that we're seeing in you know guilds of ravnica proper a lot of them definitely feel like they're very hyper tuned and development has done a lot of work to make sure that they make a good impression on the standard format because that does deserve a lot of work on it too which just has made me feel like oh i don't have the same presence that i've been getting so consistently over the past year and including in the previous ravnica sets like you so it like elaborately diagnosed so Dana very well pointed out. Why, thank you. I will also, you had made a, a mention about like the art direction was a little strange and I totally want to jump on board that train. It is kind of interesting to me to look at the card Generous Stray and then look at the card Candlelight Vigil, one of which is a very strange paintbrushy type of art and the other one is very electronic. Like the art direction is also kind of destabilizing me. So that combined with a couple of other factors has given me the impression that I don't necessarily feel like I'm home. Ravnica is one of my favorite sets. It's one of my favorite planes and I love seeing every iteration of it. And this one did strike me as I, I was a little underwhelmed when I saw it. So it's nice to see the way that you've characterized that because that frankly does make me feel better. This isn't a disappointment of a set. We're just comparing it to some other stuff that has blown us away. And that's not necessarily fair. There's still a lot of stuff like Matt mentioned that we're getting really excited about. And that's what we should definitely focus on because those are the cards that we're going to be playing and they're sweet. And I think another thing that we need to, to mention, you kind of talked about, you know, the last block. We only have one set of Guilds of Ravnica block, right? Uh, so you know when we're comparing it to real, you know, Return to Ravnica block, like that, that this isn't a complete. Uh, excuse me, this is not a finished product. This is just step one. We've got two more sets to to finish out the world. So, you know, we might be looking at it through one lens right now, but you know, give it six months, our opinion might be completely reversed. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's also quite fair. A lot of these cards. They're, they're looking pretty cool, and we're going to see some stuff in both this set and in the future Ravnica sets. Like, It's going to be awesome. It's, I mean, it's hard to do Ravnica wrong, let's be real. There's a lot of stuff that we can find in these guild pairs, and I, even if there are some moments where I'm like, eh, I don't feel as though I'm quite warmed back up to my favorite plane of all time, that doesn't matter compared to some of the great stuff that we have been given here, and it's going to make some huge waves. That is definitely for sure. Alrighty, guys, any last minute things that we want to touch on before we finally wrap up the set review? I don't think cool. so. I think we, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I agree with all of that. And I, I'm still positive, even though I didn't, I didn't fall in love with what we've seen so far. I still feel really good about it. And I'm looking forward to the pre-release and I'm looking forward to picking up the cards that I want for my decks. So I feel, I feel good about it. And I'm still looking forward to the next two. 
Yeah, if, if even if like you know, I said, oh, I don't feel great about this. I do feel good about it, and that's definitely yeah. what I want to hold on to. I I hope that we haven't left a negative impression on this because there are a lot of cards that we're really excited about. Even if we've been spoiled by some of the sets previous, this is still a really exciting looking set. So we're gonna focus on that because let's be real. As soon as the set comes out, I'm gonna want to play with some of these awesome cards. For sure. With that, I think we're going to call this to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of your listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Well, you can find me uh, on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. You can find me on the Twitter bird as well, at Dana Roach, and you can hear me once a week on my other show, Commander Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenneth Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the EDHREC cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're doing a giveaway when EDHREC gets 5,000 likes and when the EDHREC cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at a cool prize. You can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight session where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. I'm going to interrupt my usual outro to ask listeners, what do you think of Ravnica? What are you excited for? You should definitely let us know. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember EDHREC your deck before you wreck your deck. Nebraska, they put on a redemption arc that is just way too much of an indication that she's not going to survive. I think they have to kill a couple people off. They just have to, storyline-wise, which has been, these Planeswalkers have lived too long, and I think narratively, you have to up the stakes somehow, and I think that's, yeah, some of them have to go, and I, it's not going to be Jace. I wish they would kill Jace. Kill Jace.